1: I
0: first of all have to. I thank you so much for joining us, Nicole. But I have to start with the name. How did you come up with the Richard Geek?
2: That's a great question, and I'm glad that you asked that. I'm excited to be here. The it's kind of a play. On words. So I am in the technology industry and my podcast is focused on people in tech. While we do have a lot of real estate types of things that we talk about, we do talk about other things for building wealth and the geek part of technology is just, you know, just saying, hey, we, we geek out on IT and now we're geeking out on ways to build wealth. So that's where the richer geek came from and richer because as you aspire to build wealth, you're becoming richer.
0: Sure. So give us a little bit more background there. Like you, you uh, in technology, uh, that's kind of kismet there because Josh and I, both are in technology as well or were so tell us a little bit about like what you do what led you down this path give us that background
2: Okay, absolutely. Let me let me actually just start a little bit in the beginning, which is around 1999. So that was a long, long time ago. And at that point in time, I was just right out of college. My husband was finishing up college, and I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And it was a very eye-opening a book, a philosophy that I had never been taught. Nobody in my family is an entrepreneur. Everybody went to go work for a company and then retire after you know forty plus years. So it was it was very eye opening, and I'm very much of an action taker. So immediately I signed us up for a real estate seminar, and we came back from the seminar, which was a hundred percent about how to find deals, and that is absolutely one aspect of real estate investing. Thing is finding deals doesn't necessarily mean that it's a good deal and it doesn't necessarily mean that you know how to suddenly manage the property and actually make it profitable so those were things we did not learn and we did not know and this was also a time frame when there weren't mentors that you could easily access there wasn't there wasn't the kind of online communities that exist today and so we ended up giving the properties back losing a ton of money and saying to ourselves, look, if we want to be in this business, we need to learn it some way. And so my husband went to go work in property management. So I give that story because foundationally, we have always been very interested in real estate investing since that very beginning timeframe. We did minor investments for a number of years, just, just small, like single family. But in 2010-ish timeframe, uh, I was meeting with financial planners, and we were looking at retirement plan, and suddenly, there was such a, a range based on a number of factors outside of my control that I would need to be able to retire at 65 plus. And we're talking about things like obviously inflation, things like how the market performs, uh, how much will I really need to draw against? And there's all these assumptions you have to make based on general rules, but the the gap between where you think you're in a pretty good position and where you're you know, not in a good position is massive if you start playing with those numbers. And I said to my husband, we have, we have got to ramp up our real estate investing. We have to have something that we're more in control over. So that's a little bit of the background, how then we really accelerated, really focused on, you know, commercial properties and that type of thing after that 2010 timeframe. Mm
0: -hmm. So, yeah, Tell us, tell me a little bit about that pro- progression. There, you know, you started with single family homes, and now I understand you're even doing syndication for hotels and and, and the like. How do you how did you make that mental transition? I mean, that's it, it isn't like playing Monopoly. I mean, uh, you're not trading three houses for, for one apartment building. I mean, it's there's a lot more to it, especially when dealing with proformas and actuals and and a lot of information there how did you, how did you manage that and then how did you manage all of that and then maintain your full-time job i mean there had to been a lot of extra workload
2: sure so a couple of things we owned when we first started those properties that we initially purchased were you know two like a duplex, a triplex, a fourplex, those kinds of things and and that was back in a different different state that we don't live in today and when we ended up just as you know over the time we just had a couple single family homes they weren't that wasn't it was just something we knew was good to do, but it wasn't a big focus. So my husband went into property management. And in that, he was actually working for a large developer that built 600, 400 unit multifamily properties, and then managed them on their own. So they, so he was never in the property management where he was dealing with a lot of different companies or different individuals. It was 100% this particular company. So he was very comfortable with multifamily family on large scale as a result of that. It's just that we we weren't putting a ton of our own money. We weren't doing a lot to really develop our own properties for for quite some time. Uh, and then he took a little bit of a career detour. When we came back to that, that's when we really had more of that comfort level in I'll say the smaller multifamily. So uh, four plaques, seven which was actually a three and a four. We basically used 1031 and extra cash as needed to move into a 28 unit um, multifamily property, smaller apartment complex, a 50 unit apartment complex, a hotel and then now another hotel in the process. So there was definitely a progression to your point and so many lessons learned along the way, mm-hmm. which just make you smarter as you do your next deal.
0: Sure. So, you know, the hotel thing is of particular interest because we haven't run into a lot of people who invest in the hotels. So what kind of information and, and how is that handled differently when you're analyzing a hotel versus an apartment or or a single-family home.
2: Yeah, so that's a great point. Some of the terms are different. For example, when you talk about apartments, multifamily, you talk about units. How many units does somebody have? When you talk about hotels, you're talking about keys. So instead of rooms, it's keys. Uh, you're also looking at, because, you know, obviously with a hotel, you're not having you know, people do not move in and stay there for a year. They're staying for short term. So you're looking at different things. So when you, when you buy an apartment complex, you're looking at the percentage occupancy, right? And then what Mm -hmm. needs to happen there. When you're buying a hotel, you're looking at what is the revenue per available room and what is the average, average daily rate And then what, and you're looking at occupancy as well, but it's more on an average basis because it's not like you're buying it and it's 90% occupied. So, you know, when you do your variables and you look at worst case stress test, bad scenario, are you still going to make money? We look at what was the worst occupancy that the hotel had during the worst cyclical season. And I say that because in Arizona, which is where we are, our our very slow time is in the summer. Mm -hmm. And so our occupancy is absolutely down. So look at that and understand your fixed costs. And then can you still make money? Is it still a good deal after debt service and those types of things? So you're looking at some different things. You have different levers. Buying a hotel is more of a business as well. So you do have more expenses, but also more opportunity to reduce those expenses. Sure
0: so are there are like certain things like amenities or or I'm trying to think of, of other ways to refer to the, this hotel what what makes it like something that's a, a particularly attractive to you when you're investing into a, in a hotel? Are you hunting for that one with the pool?
2: So great question. Hotels are classified differently than apartment complexes is another good comparison. So apartment complexes, you have A, B, C, D type of uh, complexes. In uh, hotels, you are looking at different service levels. So you have your extended stay, your budget hotels, your limited service hotels, your you know full-on resorts, those types of things. We are in the limited service space. And what we like about that is we're catering primarily to the business traveler or the person who wants convenience. What limited service means is you're, you're definitely... Looking at uh, a hotel, or I'm sorry, you were definitely looking at a pool. You would have free Wi Fi. You would have a free, some type of breakfast. You would have a fitness center. But what you don't have is on-site restaurant. That's really the big differentiator in limited service versus a, a full service. And then obviously if it's a resort, now you have a spa and you have other amenities. So we like that limited service because these are tend to be an economical stay. The key is convenience, close to employment centers. People know what to expect from that particular brand. And they tend to be loyal to a brand as well. So all of those factors.
0: Sure. So you, you mentioned syndication before. Like that—that's another completely topic that we probably can go down that rabbit hole for uh, for quite a bit. But what made you decide to do the syndication model, and and what steps did you take to to get to that level? I mean that I'm sure that there's a lot of work involved there
2: absolutely for anything that you would be syndicating multifamily hotels etc there there is quite a bit involved i think the reason that most people move into syndication would be how do you continue to grow and scale your business and you would need partners to be able to do that and when you put together a syndication you have a paperwork that lawyer specific real estate Lawyers draw up for you that make sure you're not violating SEC rules. Make sure that you have the right parameters that protects you and also has protections for your investors. The paperwork alone is is pretty involved, and working with a very good real estate attorney is is a key factor there. The a uh, couple of the other things that you know, particularly in our situation, have been a little bit complicated. You you will you will look to go out and secure financing, and I definitely see people in the multifamily securing different types of uh, financing that are you know just your traditional commercial type of financing. In a hotel, you can actually leverage a small business loan, which has pluses, pluses meaning lower down payments. Better rates, better fixed terms. Obviously, uh, a lot of um, government focus on helping small businesses be successful, and so the loan terms are favorable as a result. Yet, on the flip side, complications because of that, mm-hmm. because of the vetting process and really going through all the mortgage details, and also how you structure the syndication when when you have a small business loan. So there's, there's a lot of moving pieces around those two parts. Getting a property under contract, we, it took us over a month from the time that we knew that we wanted this particular property and negotiating back and forth with the LOI. And that, and we had our lawyers involved in that as well. And it's just protections that that you would want to have. And that, Took over a month. So I would say each of those major steps, paperwork from the legal, loan, vetting, and uh, approval process, and getting a property under contract are each about 30 days, although they can happen simultaneously.
0: Sure. So, you know, with everything that you've gone through, especially with the very beginning where you, you, you started to do the real estate investing. It it didn't kind of work out. And then you got back into it again. There is a lot of mindset associated with this and overcoming fear associated with real estate investing. And a lot of people have to fight through that just because real real estate, you know, whether it's perceived to be risky or, I mean, uh, that's just a false equivalency. But what... How did you overcome these fears and how would you recommend some people to to get and fight through that?
2: I think it's a great question and you can frame it like this it's like anything else what's the worst that can happen so what you do is you prepare for that worst in this investment I'm actually working with someone right now where we take we are using a very conservative spreadsheet and we don't put in crazy numbers for this analysis of a property and we say, look, you know, maybe the rents are just going to increase 2% per year or maybe they're not going to increase at all, which isn't likely, but just a scenario that we run through and maybe the expenses are going to be higher than we thought. And if you run those, we call them stress stress tests, if you run those scenarios and you can still see the path for a good return and it's worth your effort that's, that's really how you overcome it. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think you just, you give yourself that cushion, you give yourself that buffer. Don't, don't shoot for the moon and you start somewhere and get going and you build confidence from there. And then your next one and your next one.
0: Sure. So is there anything you're doing for this inevitable crash that we've been promised for years here now?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So we we definitely look the do the stress test and we look at during the past 15 years, what is the lowest occupancy that we saw in the Phoenix metro area, which is where our hotels are. And what is our break-even? And can we still break even? No, now it's not going to be great, right? Because if we're just breaking even, we're not making a lot of money. But what we do know is that real estate comes back and then it tends to come back even more. So if, if you can make sure that you're maintaining it, I, here's what I would say, especially in the Phoenix metro area, a lot of people had bad experiences with real estate during the 2007, 2008 timeframe. And reasons why is that there was a lot of speculation going on. And speculation would be an example fix and flips, which is speculating. Obviously, there's some basis and some analysis that you do, but you're hoping that you can sell it for X amount. Another major area of speculation at that point in time was people that would buy houses in new developments with no intention of doing anything with the house except for selling it, Maybe sixty days later, because appreciation, so that's speculation, no intention to rent the house, no tenants who wanted to move in there, et cetera. So if you buy for cash flow now and all the other things that you get are amazing extra benefits, appreciation. Uh, as long as you have cash flow now, or you can break even if things were to turn, I feel really confident using that model to invest in real estate Mm
0: -hmm. so with your full are you still full-time in your technical role
2: i am yes
0: so how do you how would you recommend somebody balancing this between your full-time job and your and your real estate
2: i think to answer that question you have to start with first a few basic questions about your situation. And as an example, where do you live? Are you in a high cost of living area where you're probably not going to be able to buy a property in that particular area? Or are you in a place where you can go? I, you would also have to ask yourself about the time commitment you have. How much time do you have to be able to manage something? Also, What kind of mentors and or network do you have? So those are some factors that play in and there's a lot of different routes you can go. So for example, if you live in a high cost of living area and it's not even feasible to buy just a single family home because it won't cash flow because it costs too much etc cetera, etc cetera, then you may be looking at other areas of the country and then that leads the question of how do you source and find those properties and you're probably going to have to have property management in some way because you're not physically there but understand there's still a time commitment if you have a property manager it's not like you can just kind of wash your hands and let it go you do have to manage your manager if those factors don't make sense for you and your situation, then you would probably want to look at some passive types of investments where you still get tax benefits, you still get income, you still get appreciation, but you are not in charge at all of the day-to-day. So it kind of depends on many different variables for your situation.
0: Sure. You know, with with everybody trying to work towards a retirement and and frankly you know it's becoming harder and harder and harder would you say that in this day and age like real estate or some form of passive income is like essential
2: absolutely and that's and that's why i started the richer geek actually my podcast because what happened was i had a lot of people s- that saw what we were doing around real estate investing and they wanted to sit down and chat and you know, kind of meet over coffee and get some ideas. The challenge is is I think people from that aren't necessarily in industry yet look at real estate investing as whatever in their mind it is. For example, they might think they've seen HD TV, they think it's fix and flips. Mm -hmm. They think it's long term rentals. They think it's short term rentals, Airbnb, B R B O. So what's interesting about that is Real estate is this big bucket, but there's all these individual niches underneath it. So when people would want to meet with me, they would say, you know, hey, should I set up a short-term rental and run it as an Airbnb? And the challenge I have with that is I haven't done that that's not the space I'm in just because I'm a real estate investor. Now I can probably give you some good numbers and things you should think about, but I haven't done it. So I can't tell you the things to watch out for or the Mm -hmm. gotchas. So what I did is I said, but I know people who do and most of them, because I have a, a community of tech folks. This is my world. It's been my world for 22 plus years. I know people in this industry who are doing these unique and different things My idea was, well, how do I share those stories and how do I help people understand how do you do that while working full-time? Because I think it's essential. You have to have, in my mind, I call it a plan B. You have to. You absolutely must. And figure out the way that it works best for you, again, passive or active or whatever makes the most sense. But start educating yourself on something because your 401k and your IRA, that's not going to be enough. It's just not.
0: Sure. So you are like in the in the next round, right? You have a syndication going on right now? Yes. Are you trying to buy another hotel? Is that yes.
2: Right?
0: So tell us a little bit about that.
2: The, so that, uh, that hotel, it's a limited service. It's in that space that we really like. It Our other hotel that we own is a little bit further out in the Metro Phoenix area. And this new hotel, we are just really excited about the opportunity to do a lot of creative and interesting things based on its location and then based on the way that it's currently being managed. Kind of like other types of, like in multifamily, you look at the, the current management and maybe they really haven't done a lot of things to either upgrade the property or they haven't raised rents in years. In this case, we look at, there's a lot of opportunity to go a little bit more more into sales and marketing for the business side of it. As I mentioned, limited service tends to be a really great, convenient, and secure and known entity for business travelers. So we're pretty excited about, again, the location and the opportunities to improve. We see a ton of opportunities to improve based on the way things are operating today.
0: No, that's awesome. So if somebody was interested in that or just getting into touch with you, how would they do that?
2: They would go to my website, which is the richer, R-I-C-H-E-R, geek.com.
0: And I always end with, are there any questions or anything we should have covered that you wish I would have asked?
2: Mm, That is a great question. I think you covered a lot, especially I like your question around mindset because, and I'll just put a, a point in here. I, I see a lot of people, especially in tech, because we like to analyze data mm-hmm. and that's good. That's absolutely good. But you do have to take the plunge at some point <laughs> because there are a lot of people who talk about doing something and then they don't do anything just Feel confident after you've analyzed your numbers. Get some help. Work with a mentor. Find someone in a community. Go to meetups. But get over that hurdle because once you do, it will make you more confident to continue learning and investing.
0: Yeah. It's like uh, exercising a muscle, right? Once you, once you get into the reps, I think it becomes a lot easier. Um, but I, I thank you so much for your time today. And I hope we can uh, do this again sometime.
2: Absolutely, thanks so much, Jack. It was great.
0: We've put a lot of effort into providing useful content, and if you've found value in the show and have any interest in supporting us with a small donation, head over to
1: patreon.com/slash/housedudes. And if you have any thoughts or questions, shoot us an email at info info@housedudes.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at House Dudes. And if you like what you're hearing, head over to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It really helps other investors out there find the show. And remember, massive positive impact requires massive positive action. We'll see you next time. This episode was brought to you by HouseDudes.com. Do you have time to actively manage flipping and rentals yourself? If so, go for it. If you live in a market that won't cash flow or don't have the time to do all the work, are you just out of luck? If there was a way to participate more passively, would that appeal to you? I'm sure you have questions about how the process works and what to do next. If that's the case, fill out the form on housedudes.com investors, and we'll reach out to see if you are a good fit for our business. This is First Come, First Serve, and we will have to stop taking applications when our goals are met. See you at housedudes.com investors.